G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and welcome to the very first episode of I'm Loving Your Work. So when you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? Every kid gets asked this question and rarely has any trouble answering it. But if you ask a lot of adolescents and young adults what they want to do in life, not everyone's so quick to respond. There's a lot of pressure these days to pick a career and stick with it. In 2015, one in five Australian first-year uni students didn't go on to complete the second year of that course. So there's a lot of apprehension when it comes to choosing a career. By chatting to guests about what they wanted to be when they were a little kid, and seeing how this relates to their actual professional pathway, we're going to get an insight into some of the tangibles of how people ended up where they are, as well as a few observations on their chosen industry. I've chosen today's guest for the first episode for a pretty specific reason. That's me at age six giving a sports report on a home movie. Ever since I can remember, I wanted to be a sports journalist. Those who know me know that sport is my absolute passion. And up until a couple of years ago, if you were to ask me what I wanted to do in life, it was always something to do with sports journalism. But for a long time, that meant just wanting to talk about footy on the tally. I had no real concept of what I actually had to do to get there. One of the aims of this podcast is to show the practicalities of how to get where you want to go through real-life examples. Tom Morris is our first example. Tom works for Fox Footy in Melbourne, which is one of the many dream jobs myself and I'm sure many other Australian boys and girls happen to have. I'd like to thank Tom for taking the leap and coming on the show at this early stage. Hope you enjoy my chat with Tom Morris. So today we've got uh, we've got Tom Morris in. Now, Tom, you've got you've got kind of a, a list of things that that we could describe you as here. You, you work for Fox <laughs> Footy. Uh, you're the Melbourne Grammar Cricket Coach. You're a you're a footy boundary writer. Uh, you've worked with SEN in the radio. How would you sort of describe your kind of <laughs> work dis- work situation? Oh well, firstly, thank you for having me. Uh, my work situation. Well, my primary employer is Fox Footy, so Fox Sports. And then the, I guess the beauty of that is when you're doing journalism, you work shift hours, really. So you're able to do other stuff on top of that. So part of that is boundary riding for K-Rock footy. Part of that is doing some cricket stuff for SEN in the mornings on the radio. And then also being able to coach the Melbourne Grammar First Eleven at cricket is really good. So I'm able to sort of keep my, fi- my, my, um, my hand in a number, number of different pies and able to uh, – it's a good way to meet different people. You don't just work for the one organisation. And also, I really enjoy coaching. So I do that because I enjoy it, whereas the rest of the stuff is work. And obviously, I enjoy that as well, but it's on a slightly different slant. So how would I describe myself? I, I'm, a, I'm a Fox footy employee. That always comes first, but it's good to do other stuff as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and we'll get into a few of these things a little bit yep. later on. But I suppose one of, the, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on today is sort of um, – I think, you know, you've done so well at kind of diversifying your talents, I suppose. And I think that's something you sort of, you really need to do these days is, especially yeah. something with something like journalism in that's changing so much and journalism so different to what it was 10, 15 years ago. So I'm really looking forward to sort of getting a bit of an insight into kind of how or what your thoughts are on that and sort of how. how it's completely different, so isn't it? It's like, it's a different, it's a different industry, but a lot of people say, 
oh, it's tougher to get into now because there's not many jobs available. But my firm belief is it's actually easier to be a journalist now than it was 20 years ago because you can put your opinion out on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and you can get published on websites. You're not just looking to get into the paper. Probably 20, 25 years ago, all you could do is get published in the paper, be on the radio, be on the TV. But now the, the internet has just opened up a whole range of things and there's plenty of ger- freelance journalists and thousands of people all over the world that would consider themselves journalists but are in no way traditional journalists like there was 20, 25 years ago. So I think it's a more exciting industry to be in than it's ever been before. And I think the negative negativity that surrounds it is it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of jobs out there if you're willing to put the work in and put yourself out there. And yeah, we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about about this as as we go along. But um, yeah, but let's just take a step back for a second. Um, one question yep. I sort of like to ask everyone is, what did you want to when you were younger? What did you want to be when you grew up? Sort of thing. Uh, aside from a WWE wrestler or Australian cricket captain? Yeah. Well, is that is that like? <laughs> nah, nah. Age, oh, that's, that's when I was really young when I used to watch SmackDown yeah. on Fox Eight. Um, when I was probably eight or nine. But no, I always wanted to be a sport from probably when I was. Oh, how old would I have been? I remember it was the 2001 Australian Tour of India, so I would have been nine, ten. I would have been ten, and uh, and I wrote a match report for one of the test matches. And, <laughs> uh, it would have been maybe 400 words and probably size 16 times New Roman, and uh, I wrote it on Dad's laptop. And I've still got it, actually, and it's obviously poorly written. I was ten years old, but... From then on, I reckon I always wanted to be a sports journalist. I love the sport and I enjoyed writing about it. So pretty much ever since I can remember. And then probably since I was 13, 14, 15, it became more serious. Like I actually wanted to do commentary and, and things like that. But I think I've always wanted to be a sports journalist, yeah. Yeah, so and it was actually the sort of journalism side of things because I know as I've sort of been, been doing my research, you've actually had sort of quite a, quite a career yourself with, with the gloves and with the batting cricket. <laughs> Um, were you a Melbourne Melbourne Grammar's cricket captain back in the day? You've done, and... you, you've done some research, actually, <laughs> a while ago now. Yeah, I could play at a reasonable level. I was never going to play for Australia or Victoria, but so yeah. Guess... So I was never sort of like you sort of came came to that quite early and sort of focused on the journey. Yeah, stuff, or... I think I was probably realistic that my um, I mean my talents got me to representative cricket, but at junior level, but. I was never going to play for Australia or even Victoria, I don't think. And in the end, I wasn't probably... And like some other, and this is great that other people are willing to do that, but they're willing to sacrifice their whole lives for the sport in the hope they might get there when they're 26, 27. That's great. I've got a couple of mates like that, but I was never going to be able to do that. In the end, I'm not even playing cricket anymore at all or hardly at all. But no, I guess I was a wicketkeeper for St Kilda Cricket Club up until last season when I got a job here at Fox Footy, then I couldn't combine the two. But, yeah, I played cricket at Melbourne Grammar. And when I was growing up, cricket was my life. Like, I loved cricket and playing footy as well. But in the end, you've got to grow up eventually, don't you? You've got to get a job and make some money. But I still love playing the sport. It's just about fitting it in around all the other stuff. Yeah, sure. And so going back yeah. to sort of to that time at school, yeah. I went to a bit, of, bit of commentating around that time. And so, How do you know all this? You've spoken to some people. <laughs> you've done some good research, mate. Well I've done, done. I have done a little bit of research. But yeah, but so what, what are some of the things that you did do at school that you reckon helped you to get where you are now? Because I suppose another, another reason that, you know, that I, I wanted to talk to you is that yep. Fox Sports is kind of such a juggernaut here in Australia. And, you know, everyone sort of follows Fox Sports to some degree. Yep. So how, how do you actually sort of put yourself in a position where 
they're looking for you sort of thing. So going back to sort of school days, um, yeah, I school know, I days. Got into a bit of bit of commentating with the APS sort of stuff. Yeah, so I did. I, I got it. I played footy the whole way through school. I played first in year twelve, but in year eleven, I broke my finger early in the footy season and missed the rest of the footy season. I thought, oh, what can I do? I thought I'll commentate for the first. And someone was filming it, and I commentated. And there was no, there was no hint of uh, neutrality. Neutrality? That's the word. Yeah. Neutrality about it. I was fully biased towards Melbourne Grammar. Yeah. But it, it culminated. It also happened to be the year that Melbourne Grammar won the first 18 footy premiership, and the the final effectively was a final. It was against Scotch at the MCG. It was at the MCG because it was the 150th anniversary of the school, and it was before Melbourne played Geelong on a Friday night. So we got to commentate up in the commentary boxes, which was awesome. Yeah, so that yeah. gave me this. That gave me this sort of hunger that, yeah, I'd love to do that. And although I have, I've done bits and pieces of commentary since, that really whet my appetite. I think that, yeah, media is definitely the thing I want to do. Yeah, sure. And, um, yeah. and yeah, so I imagine that, uh, oh, that, I suppose, unbiased approach would, would almost have helped with your role in K-Rock, even though you're not, not necessarily a Geelong fan yeah. yourself. They are yeah. yeah. not yeah, the well, <laughs> neutral. No, they love Geelong. So every time I do a Geelong game for K-Rock, they're all about Geelong, but... I did a, a game for K-Rock. Was this, no, it was, it was 2015 I did a game for K-Rock and, um, and it was it was Geelong, Melbourne and I was a Mel- they know I'm a Melbourne supporter and I was just at them the whole time. You know, the, 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 the best thing about footy is that it's, it becomes tribal. Like, I don't think anyone should ever be ashamed of admitting what club they go for, especially media ju- journalists. Like, you're, it's okay to be a little bit biased. You know, this is your love. This is the club you go for. So you see Mark Stevens clearly goes for the Bulldogs and and, and Sam Landsberger from um, the Herald Sun goes for the Bulldogs. And I go for Melbourne and uh, Daniel Cherney from The Age goes for St Kilda. And we all know this because everyone has a team. And I think it makes it more human. If you don't have a team, then I think people – or if you do have a team, then I think people respect that. They understand that, yeah, this is actually – it's a bit more than just a business. It, it, it's a love. And I go for the Demons – and although we've had a rough decade ever since I was a kid, but when I was young, I used to love Melbourne, and I do now, I still do, because it just, it, I don't know, it's very simple. You go to the footy and you watch a team play and you want them to win. Um, and for K-Rock, whenever Melbourne's playing, yeah, it comes through. Like, I, they know I go for the, over the Demons and I, and I play up for it a bit, so it's really good. Yeah, and I suppose, like, just with that, like, there are kind of different approaches to it, and you look at sort of say Eddie Maguire, and he sort yep. of his approach yeah. to kind of Collingwood, and then another good one example. Be, yeah, and the other one would I suppose be Jared Waitley, where yep. um, like you know you, here he's a cat supporter, but and you know yep. he's obviously you know loves Paddy Dangerfield and these sorts of ones, but yep. kind of beyond that, you don't really get as much of a sense of that. Is, yeah, is that sort of is that on personal preference, or is that would that be based on their employers, or how how do they sort of or yeah, like as, I'll as a journalist. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> All good. Um, that's raw. Um, <laughs> personal preference compared to, yeah, I don't, well, I think Eddie's just unashamedly um, a Collingwood man. I think that's part of his appeal as well. He, he appeals to the rusted on footy fan because they can all resonate with the way he's so passionate and, and vocal about his club. Jared's got a more impartial view in that he, in many ways, he's he's the voice of Fox Footy for the biggest show on TV. So he probably doesn't have that opportunity to be, um, you know, as much of a fanboy as Eddie. But in saying that, he still speaks. He's still spoken about on the show before that he took his kids to watch Geelong play. So it's no secret. But um, three sixty, I guess, has got a different audience to you know the Footy show. Or I mean, Eddie's Collingwood president, so of course it's obvious now. But 
No, I, I don't think it's ever an organisation's preference to make it clear to journalists to be unbiased. But it's a good question because um, I think it can also go too far. Like, you don't want them just focusing on one club. I think journalists have to be at least impartial to an extent. Yeah, is that is that hard to manage in terms of now that you're sort of around these stories and these clubs and these yeah. players and that sort of thing, do you have to sort of manage your kind of natural tendency to kind of lean towards Melbourne sort of stuff? Yeah, or? that's a good question. It's probably Melbourne and St Kilda, mainly because I worked at St Kilda. So I know the ins and outs there and the players and the staff really well and the coaches. But, yeah, I think there's a natural tendency for all journalists to be more – not more favourable, but more interested in some clubs than others. For example, Melbourne journalists are clearly more interested in Melbourne and Victorian clubs than they are in Sydney or West Coast or Adelaide because they have the context, the contacts, they're seeing them face-to-face. So that's natural, but the, you definitely have to manage it. It would be ridiculous for me to just focus on Melbourne and St Kilda stuff without thinking about other clubs as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good question. Here at Fox Footy, we have six or five five journalists and we each control three or four clubs as in we look after those three or four clubs in it can cross over but in general that's it so my clubs are Adelaide, Hawthorne and uh, St Kilda so they're the clubs I look at most but really you can you can look at any club you want I think. Yeah okay and so when they yeah. sort of like divvy that up is that how do they do that because I imagine sort of you would have put your hand up for Melbourne but Fox, Fox Footy being based in Melbourne there may have been a couple whereas say like Freo or Gold Coast or GWS may not have had the, the fans. How do they? Is there sort of like a, a hierarchy within within kind of? Um, oh, because I was new, I didn't really get a choice. They, I'm, I've got St Kilda because I knew I used to work at St Kilda, and I think I just got given Hawthorne and Adelaide. I, I don't really mind to be honest. I was sort of happy not to do Melbourne because I'm going to be interested in Melbourne anyway. Yeah. So I may as well branch out, learn more about the Adelaide Crows, learn about all the players. Um, and Hawthorne as well because, you know, you don't know all the you – know, the club you go for, you know all the rookies, you know all the coaches, you know everything that's going on. The other clubs, you don't know you don't know that, so it's a good chance to learn about them and then they go to different clubs and you know where they – so it's really good to branch out. I think next year I'd probably prefer not to do St Kilda so I can branch out again. You know, take another club, take Brisbane, you know, do, do, do a different – it's a good challenge, you know. Now, you yeah. mentioned you're working at St Kilda – um, yep. Yeah, yeah. T- tell us a little bit about that because that was a, a, a pretty sort of significant stepping stone, sort of yeah. on, on your way to Fox Footy, wasn't it? Massive stepping stone. It, well, I was there for three years, and it taught me everything I needed to know about the about the industry, at least initially. I'm trying to think, I started mid twenty twelve, left there this time last year, so what November twenty fifteen, and just being at a football club, you understand how it works how everyone is out. It's, it's really an amateur club in a professional environment. Um, you get to know the players. And it was just, I mean, I wouldn't be here without St Kilda Footy Club, so I'm forever grateful to them. I, I loved my time there. So, yeah, so just with, with your writing at Fox Footy, I've got a couple of articles I'd like to sort of bring up with you. Oh, yeah? Just to sort of get get your kind of analysis and take on as as the writer of them. And so there was are they good with... articles or are they bad articles? No, nah, great. They're all great articles, <laughs> mate. <laughs> Good answer, well done. Um, no, I mean that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there was one last week with Dane Swan. Yep. Um, yes. And so Dane Swan, I kind of got the sense in the way that you were talking to him from the first question that, like, obviously yep. you have a bit of a sense of who Dane Swan is and that he's a bit of an individual. He's recently retired. What is your kind of thought? What are your thoughts going into that in terms of are you trying to elicit some sort of kind of controversy that? can then lead to a bigger story uh-huh. or are you sort of just trying to get the authentic Dane or sort of what, what are you yeah, so this, as a... That's a good question. So sometimes you do ask questions to try to 
elicit a controversy. Probably the less controversial way to say it is just find a news angle. But in this case, I knew it was going to be a Q&A because that's all I wanted, a Q&A. Because they hadn't, people had written articles about Swan, but no one had done a Q&A with him, you know, question and answer. So I thought, let's just do a question and answer. Checked it with my boss. He said, yep, good call. So my aim going in was just to get authentic Dane. It wasn't to find a big news story which is going to blow up the world. I just wanted to get the real Dane Swan. And I don't know, I, I think I got it because people seemed interested in the article. Lots of people read it. I say it's an article, but really I'm just transcribing a conversation. So it's not hard to do. It doesn't take writing prowess or really that great at interview techniques because he's such a good talent, Dane Swan. You know, he'll he'll be authentic no matter what. He, as you, uh, If you've read the article, he, he says, oh, I don't really care what happens next year because I'm retired. So he's, uh, he was good no matter what, but it was enjoyable to do. And I think in order to get that news angle, you have to ask reasonable questions to some people, but for Swan, you could just say, mate, let's talk about footy and he'll be able to give you anything. He's, he's that sort of, he's, he's, he's really well-spoken and intelligent more than what people would think. I think that certainly came through in that article and has come through in yep. cer- certain things that he's read. Is that, um, yeah, we he's do great. really sort of yeah. crave that individual, I think, these days. And like, you look yeah. at sort of what Massive. Tom Liberatore is doing at the moment and everyone's getting around him so much. Like, it is great to see him. Like, the Bulldogs are sort you of... You look a bit like him, mate. You got a bit of a moustache like him. Oh, Jesus. Did you make a ton against Colin Miller at the G as well? Oh, <laughs> How mate. good was that? Yeah, exactly. But that's exactly what I mean. Like, you don't yeah. see that from some of the kind of more media trained. And um, I agree. And yeah, it's, it's, great it's a see. shame. It's yeah, a real exactly, shame. Yeah. It's um. I mean, it's partly the media's fault as well, obviously, because it's so controlled. But you just hope that the individuals don't go out of the game. You know, Dane Swan's so great because he says what he thinks, really, within reason. And there's a lot of people that, you know, are very straight in the line and don't give answers because they've been burned before in the past. But I, I just hope that you still get characters in the game. I think you will because there's, it, there's, there's that much diversity of, of, of personality and character that you're not just going to have 800 robots in the AFL. You hope you have at least a few that can say what they think and, and you can create stories out of them. But... Swan's terrific. Dangerfield, I think, is terrific. Dangerfield's leading the way in that now because he's open to media and he's and he's open to getting himself out there. And what these players need to understand is it's actually better for them. If they show their true personality, it works better in the long run. They'll get media jobs. They'll be more well-known. They'll be able to write columns in the paper or, you know, go on the footy show or come on Fox Footy. You know, it's actually better for them. But it might take them, you know, five, six years in a career to do so. so. And not all players get to that. So for the first two or three years... They're very straight down, straight down the line. They're a bit more nervous, and then sometimes they drop out of the system. So it's no wonder that you've got a lot of players who don't say very much when they get interviewed. But and of course the coaches don't because they're looking after their jobs and the whole club. But you just hope there's a, there's more sort of Dane Swan types out there. They're 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 the best to interview. They're awesome because that you know that you're going to get a proper answer. There's nothing worse than trying to find an angle out of a player that gives you absolutely nothing. It's bloody tough. Well, yeah, like, how, how do you approach that sort of as the media? Like, as you mentioned, like, it is so sort of controlled these days. And, like, I imagine most of the, most of the players would have media minders sort of right there yeah. as they're kind of answering some of these questions and that sort of thing. So are there any kind of ways or questions that, that you look at asking to kind of get around this sort of stuff? Or is it kind yeah. of this is kind of the status quo and it's pretty hard to kind of do, do anything otherwise? Well, if the media manager's there, that's fine. I mean, the, the media manager can be there. But I, most most of the time, the media manager's not there because they've, they've just been worded up beforehand. So um, to get around, I guess to get around that thing, you just need to keep asking the right questions. And I remember I interviewed a, a player from an interstate club about 
six months ago on the phone and he was giving me nothing, like absolutely nothing, just not being rude, just giving me stock standard answers, not giving away anything. I thought, geez, how am I going to get an article from this? And in the end, I asked a question um, which actually got him a bit interested and he gave me a good line for that. That became the article. But it's just, it's tough. It's really tough sometimes. You've got to find the right person. You've got to ask the right questions. You've got to do a bit of research so they know that you care about them. And so, so just on that, and you've, you have touched on it a little bit, but what's sort of the process in getting to an article? So do you get sort of full autonomy in that you kind of go to your sort of authorities within Fox Sports or Fox 40 and, and kind of say, right, this is the article that I'm thinking of doing. Is this okay? Or do they sort of say, we want something on this? Or Yeah, I, I, I reckon I'm, I don't know, you probably do your own thing maybe – 70% of the time, and then 30% of the time they want you to do something, which is fine. I mean, it, it, it evolves. So there's some days where you're doing all your own thing, and there's other days where you're getting told to do stuff. So that, that just changes all the time, and it just depends on what what's going on, um, what you have. I mean, ideally, you do your own thing all the time, but it doesn't work like that as well because obviously the website needs to keep ticking over. But it would be different at every organisation. But I know at Fox Footy, you get a licence to do whatever you want, and then if you don't have something – um, or if it's not good what you have, then there's always stuff to do. There's all, there's always footy stories out there, you know. It's a massive industry in Australia and Melbourne especially. And so with with coming to an article, does the mm-hmm. article sort of come before the re- like getting to the research? So do you sort of pick an angle in an article and sort of say, oh, I want to write about this and then look at supporting research? Or uh, oh, it's interesting, yeah. So through, it, yeah. It, it's a bit of both, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, for example, there was one that you did on uh, umpire bias in uh, the English Premier League from oh, 92 to 2006 or whatever it was. But when you get You've a... done your research. Wow. <laughs> but... You've gone back a while. <laughs> but when you, sort of, when you get a study like this, do you sort of look at the study and sort of think, um, all right, I can get an article out of that? Or is that sort of, does that come from being at the game and sort of thinking, all right, maybe there's something to this, and then you look for supporting evidence behind that? Yeah, the, the latter is correct. So I just thought to myself, I wonder if there is a bias, you know, and it's, it's, not, a, it's not a conscious bias, a subconscious bias in in umpiring the AFL and I looked at the the evidence and it suggested there there is and then I thought well how can you compare this to other sports so I just I literally just googled it and that this study was done in soccer from 1992 to 2008 over thousands of games which uh, which suggested strongly that there is a bias now obviously in soccer the referee has a bigger control over the resu- over the result of a game than in footy because a penalty can can win you a game Whereas in footy, a free kick at half forward doesn't necessarily win you a game. But it was concluded that for every 10,000 fans in a stadium, the bias to the home team goes up by 0.1 of a goal. (laughs) So one-tenth of a goal. So over the course of 18 years and thousands of games, that's been concluded. And uh, it does reflect to footy. And there's there's not strong evidence in footy, but there's definitely... um, you know, circum- not circumstantial evidence. There's definitely um, second-hand evidence that this does happen in footy as well at away venues. And the people I spoke to about that suggested that, you know, in the industry, suggested that it's not the free kicks that get paid or wrong to the home team. It's the free kicks that don't get paid to the away team. So, anyway, to answer your question, I thought this would be an interesting article. Then I went and did research. But it does happen the other way as well. Sometimes you, you see the numbers and then you've got to validate them with, with more numbers or with people's opinions. So it can happen both ways. And so with 
certain articles and I think we've seen kind of in recent years the boundaries between journalism and sports journalism have been blurred as much as ever and you look at sort of what's happened with Essendon and the Essendon Football Club and Cronulla and then one that I sort of I personally think is is a real kind of watershed moment for Australian sport was everything that happened with Philip Hughes and I think that's just a good example to look at sort of from a journalistic perspective in terms of where do you draw the line with some of this stuff in that we're, we're sort of seeing it right now with what's happening with the the inquest and, and this sort of thing and there's sort of stuff that that's it seems quite distressing to his family and all this sort of stuff what are your thoughts on sort of where to draw the line in terms of is it sort of what's respectful exactly is it sort of like merit of story based or is it yeah what oh. how do you sort of how long have you got it's a <laughs> tough question because i mean to to answer your question about phil hughes stuff i think that some of that has been reported pretty poorly by some journalists the clickbait headlines which aren't just the journalists in fairness that's the industries they work for but the clickbait headline that doug bollinger denies telling phil hughes that he was going to kill him is just to me that's not in the public interest it doesn't mean the public interest doesn't need to know that that can be in an article that bollinger said did said he did not say that but it doesn't need to be the headline and because it's a denial story so effectively you know i can make a story right now that Chris Judd denies murdering 15 people at Flinders Street Station. And it's like, a denial, you can make denial stories out of anything. So it's not a, to, to me, that was poor journalism. But in saying that, the inquest was happening and you had to report on it. So I would have had less clickbait headlines, but still reported fairly, fairly evenly, you know, and, with, and rationally on, the, on what was going on. It is tough, though. You know, there's, there's, there's plenty of things that the public wants to know that, you know, famous individuals don't want them to know, but they have a, that the public has a right to know. For example, contract staff and you know affairs and footy clubs and drugs and things like that. How much do you report on it? I don't know. I'm still young. I'm still learning myself. Everyone's got different opinions. And so, like you've been, I suppose, involved with journalism a long time, even sort of just as someone who's really enjoyed it and followed it. But yeah, how, how have you sort of seen it change in terms of that sort of stuff with like with social media and stuff these days? It really is kind of a 24-hour news cycle. Is this sort of something that you know, that maybe five years ago you wouldn't have sort of seen these types of, um, of articles? Or is this sort of... I think of, probably five years ago you would have seen journalism? it. Yep. Yeah, I think five years ago you would have seen it. I think... No, there's always, there's always been what, you know, the public would call gutter journalism or I would just call clickbait journalism. There's always been that. I mean, headlines are headlines. So in the 1950s, there's still big headlines on the paper that make people buy the headline. I, I, I reckon it's probably got a bit worse or, you know, more prevalent, but... It definitely has always existed in some form, this sort of journalism. And as you sort of develop sort of your stories over time and this sort of thing, I imagine, you know, you you really would develop a style and that sort of thing. How much are you sort of consciously developing your style as you go along as opposed to just sort of naturally letting it all come out and sort of, yeah, just sort of letting it happen over time? No, you develop your style for sure. So a lot of people, they start in the industry and and they say they want to read or sorry, they want to write a certain way, I want to write like Greg Baum or I, want to, I don't know, I want to write like X, whoever it is. But really, you have to develop your own style and you're always developing it. So I'm not where I want to be when I'm 40 in terms of the way I write, but I'm a lot better than what I was when I was 20. So you learn and you pick up things and you want to, you need to read a lot so you can pick up things from different people and your vocab can be you know, extended. But your, your own style is, 
is completely unique. No one else can write like you. You can't write like anyone else. So the more the more you, you stick to what you know, the better you'll be. And you take little bits from everyone else, but really if you try to imitate anyone else, then you're in a hiding to nothing because, you know, no, no one can be anyone else when they're writing. It's it's just such a natural thing. The What words come into your head, you know, it's it's only you that has them. I suppose just sort of taking, taking a kind of more broader look at things now. Yep. Has sort of the industry been been similar or different to what you expected? You know, you mentioned that you had that interest in sports journalism from quite a young age. So I imagine you would have developed perceptions of it over time. Yeah, that's a really good question. I can't remember what I thought about the industry when I was a kid. No, I think I think I sort of knew what TV was about, but I had no idea what newspapers were about. And then obviously websites were only in the formative stages when I was a kid. I mean, they were there, but there weren't newsrooms. But I would have thought that it's just when I went at St Kilda, for example, Fox Footy is probably what I thought it would be. So it's not that it's not as glamorous as what some people think. It, it is it is good and it's great, but it's a lot of hard work. And the worst people can do is think that it's that it's going to be some amazing thing, you know, that it's some unbelievable thing. Well, yeah, I suppose. There'd probably be a lot of people that would get drawn towards sports journalism and probably realise that it, it might not be for them. I remember yeah. one, one thing that you said to me once that really resonated is to be in sports journalism, you have to kind of primarily love journalism. Yep. Um, yep. And you can't sort of just, just go yeah straight into sports journalism for the love of sport and that sort of thing. Do you sort of – do you notice people within the industry who might not be in it for the right reasons? And do you sort of see a bit oh, of turnover yeah, for, sure. for that reason or uh, – I'm not sure if you see turnover for that reason, but you can pick them out from a mile away. The people that are in it for their own egos and, and not for the love of it, you can definitely see. And they drop out and they go and do other stuff and that's fine. But <clears> – <throat> Now, even television, it looks glamorous because people are wearing makeup and looks awesome and you go watch sport on TV. It's a lot of hard work. Not that I've done a hell of a lot of that. Whether people drop out because of that, I'm not sure. But what it is, it requires time and patience, but also you, you've got to be friendly and you've got to be nice. And if you're not, well, then you better be a big dog in the first place because you're not going to get anywhere. And just taking sort of a, a look forward now, where do you yep. sort of where do you see kind of the industry evolving and changing? Like we look at, like I personally think women's sport is going to absolutely just take off, and um, and you know like I sort of I've almost you know a vision where where women's and men's sport is equally professional in the sense that you know you've got a young girl who wants to play this sport, she has every equal opportunity to go off and do that just like a bloke would sort of thing. Yeah. Do you think how how do you sort of see journalism kind of picking up on this sort of stuff? Do you think there's a lag effect? Do you think it's sort of on the forefront of looking into, say, like women's sports, an example? But how do you think journalism sort of evolves and where do you think it's sort of evolving yeah. to? Well, journalism becomes all-encompassing in the end. So people are on social media every day and social media 10 years ago meant a very different thing to what it does now. So t- social media 10 years ago, you went on MySpace or MSN which was, I guess, social media in 2006, for example. And you weren't being linked to articles from news, from news websites. But now it's, it's all converging. It's all coming together. So the, the fact that you can now put out articles and people will read them, not from going to your site, but you can give them those links, makes a massive difference for journalism. So more people will, will read more stuff. But the problem is people aren't paying for that stuff. So where does the money go? 
or where does the money come from? Um, something needs to happen because newspapers are dying. And I think weekend newspapers will be fine, but definitely weekday newspapers are skinnier than ever. You know, some people say that that's just evolution. Other people will say, you know, that it's a, it's a real shame that newspapers are dying like that. In ter- specifically where it's going, it's just going to be everywhere. <laughs> so there'll be another Twitter in 10 years. There'll be another Facebook. There'll be, there'll be stuff all over the place, which means you can get information everywhere. You can probably get it on your watch or different parts of your phone or, I don't know, on your TV. You can get it already. So anytime you want to know anything, you can get it. Now, it's up to us like me in the media, but, you know, everyone to provide that information to make it reliable. And the worst thing you can be sucked into is trying to get too much content out there and it's not good content. So there's a real balance between quality and quantity. And I think at the moment it's leaning a lot towards quantity, but the quality has to be there as well. That's what I try to pride myself on as well. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong here, and this is sort of just doing a bit of a backtrack here, but yep. you you yep. studied uh, sports journalism at La Trobe, is that correct? Yep. yep. Yeah, correct. and so yep. so when you started that course, now correct me if I'm wrong, but was that the first year of that yes, course? Yes, correct. Yeah, so what was correct. that like? I suppose like, I myself studied sports media, so yep. I, I sort of know a little bit about kind of the reactions that you get from people, but, but that being the yep. first year of a course, I imagine that would have been sort of quite a leap at the time, and... Talk us through a little bit about how that came to be and how you think you've benefited from studying sports journalism, pardon me, as opposed um, to maybe someone who, who didn't study it, who sort of found it more organically. No, I think, well, it was hugely beneficial because it's exactly what I wanted to do. So it was, the course was a combination of uh, media, um, sports management and journalism so it combined subjects from all those areas and made it sports journalism which was terrific but there's no new subjects it wasn't like there was sports journalism subjects they were just all those subjects combined into one course so it wasn't that revolutionary but in saying that it was really valuable for me i think sports journalism as a course is terrific but in saying that you can still be a sports journalist if you do journalism or if you do media studies or you know you don't have to do sports journalism to be a sports journalist i don't think if you were to yeah. have any advice for anyone that, um, that, yeah, that you thought or that wanted to get into the industry or wanted to get into the position that you have or a similar position, yeah, what advice would you have for someone coming through? Oh, my advice would be you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to write whatever you want to do. If you want to write, speak, produce, present, you've got to put yourself out there and do more and do more and more and more. So at that point in your career, at the start, at the very start, because in many ways I'm at the start, but I'm talking about the very start, you know, when you're 20, 21. You've got to have as much quantity as you can um, and you want it to be quality, but the most important thing is to get out there and learn. So clearly by you doing a podcast, your 25th podcast will be more polished and better than your third podcast purely by quantity. The same goes for your 25th article compared to your fifth article. It's going to be better. So it's just about volume and it's no different to sports training in many ways. The more balls you catch, the more likely you are to catch it on the weekend when you're fielding at first slip. The more balls you hit, the more likely you are to make runs. It doesn't make anything a certainty. You can still go out there and make a duck. You can still write a bad article for your 30th article, but you're more likely to write a good one because you've had that experience before. So I would suggest to any young person, younger person than me looking to be a sports journalist or get in the media, you have to have quantity. You've got to have Twitter. You've got to have Facebook. You've got to be across everything. You've got to read the paper. You've got to read books that aren't anything to do with sport so you get a handle on you know, other parts of the world. And you've just got to have as much content out there as you can in any capacity, podcasts, a blog, 
write for the Raw, write for Fox Sports, the crowd, send in articles to anyone, do as much as you can. That would be my advice. Well, Tom, mate, it's been great, great chatting to you. Always, yeah, always enjoy catching up and having a chat and picking your brain about certain things. So, yeah. No worries at all. As I said earlier on, you know, you're someone who I certainly admire in the way that you have done exactly what you've just mentioned. You've sort of, you've put yourself out there and you've, and yeah, you've sort of really made a go of it. So, um, thank you for sort of helping me out with everything and and thank you for coming on to the show today. No worries, mate. Enjoy it and good luck for the rest of the uh, podcast. You're doing a great job. (laughs) Thank you.